and Yong, welcome to I've Made a Huge Mistake, an Arrested Development podcast. I am your host, Darren, and with me today I have two guests. Uh, first of all, I have Jim Donahue. Hello, Jim. Hey, Darren. And I have Ryan. Hello, Ryan. And Young. <laughs> See, that's what I've been expecting people to do, but very few do. Um, today we're covering Season 1, Episode 9, which is Storming the Castle. It was first broadcast on the 4th of January 2004, so it was the, the first episode... Um, of 2004 for uh, Arrested Development, um, which uh, I think is the only year where they had a full roster of episodes that were broadcast that year. Probably. In subsequent subsequent years, the amount broadcast was a lot less. It's written by Brad Copeland, who who I've talked about previously because he wrote Key Decisions, which is the first kind of like big Job episode with him trying to... Um, break out of the prison. Which, oh, okay. You know, he um, he ended up sort of doing, um, and Ta-da! He, he yeah, and he um, he's he was also the writer of the film Wild Hogs and Yogi Bear Three D. So. Oh my god, what a checkered career! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to start on Arrested Development and to end up in that place. I, I mean, I'm not gonna. It's directed by uh, Greg Matola, and this is the final episode that he directs in season one. Uh, he previously directed uh, Charity Drive and Visiting Hours. Um, he's, uh, I guess, his biggest hit would be Superbad. Oh, uh, but okay. he also did Adventureland and he did Paul. But he has a, he has a couple more hits in him than Brad Copeland did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the plot is mostly about uh, Job and Michael. We're still in the middle of the Martyr storyline. Um, which will conclude with episode 13. This is probably one of the heaviest in terms of the whole Marta um, Michael storyline. We've got the subplot with Buster and Lucille and the other Lucille, um, <laughs> <laughs> which leads to one of my favourite lines uh, where he says to Michael um, about dating, it's a bit like dating mom. <laughs> um, uh, but <laughs> we'll get to that later. Uh, And, of course, Tobias decides to update his look. Something that says, you know, that he's into leather. Uh, A leather (laughs) daddy, if you will. But first of all, I want to ask both of you, you know, uh, when did you first uh, watch the show? And I'll ask uh, Ryan first. Ryan? I was, like, tangentially aware of it when it was on. Because, basically, it was one of those things that was on around the time I was trying to watch Futurama. And I remember I didn't watch it weekly, which made it kind of harder to follow. And so I was kind of aware of it. And then there was actually a DVD store, an an FYE by my house that was closing down in about 2007. And they had all the seasons on clearance. And I was like, I kind of remember this show being pretty funny. And I got them on DVD and instantly fell in love with it. So I, I think I marathoned through all three seasons in like, couldn't have been more than like two or three weeks, one summer. And, yeah, I just, I immediately understood why the friends of mine that were more into comedy than me absolutely adored it and told me I had to watch it. And, yeah, so I, I came I came on before Netflix, but after it was on TV. Okay, and Jim? Uh, I actually caught the first episode uh, on its original airing, and I have to admit, I didn't like it. And that was the only episode I watched for a while. Uh, I, I, I think I 
just found it a little bit off-putting. The characters were just so dysfunctional, abrasive, and I'm like, I don't know if I really want to watch this, even though I laughed a few times. And then I kept hearing how great it was, and I kept reading great things about it, and I gave it another try, I would say probably five or six episodes in. I don't remember which episode it was. And then it clicked. When, when I saw the second episode, whichever one it was, I was like, okay, now I get what they're doing. And I became a, a huge fan. I have the DVDs. Uh, I bet I've seen the entire uh, one, seasons one through three from beginning to end probably six times, maybe seven times. Season four I've watched twice. And I probably won't watch that season again until the re-edit comes along, <laughs> uh, which I am curious about. But uh, season four just doesn't work for me. But other than that, huge, huge fan. A summary for this episode, and it reads as follows. Michael is so smitten with Job's girlfriend that he decides to let her know that Job has been cheating on her. And Lucille tries to break up Buster and Lucille Ostero. And I, I feel that that's a pretty accurate summary of the important stuff in this episode. Aside from the leather daddy stuff that you mentioned. Yeah. Now, on, on, on the funny thing is on the DVD menu, I think I've mentioned this a few times in some episodes, there's like a little loop that plays around. Yes. And the part, yeah. the part where um, uh, Tobias sits down and he, he's, he's talking and he, he tries to talk to maybe and he says something and he, he jerks the chain <laughs> and like chokes himself. <laughs> that's, like, that's like the second or third thing that plays on this DVD menu. So I've seen that little tiny, like, that bit of business like a ton of times. <laughs> And the weird thing is I can never place it as being in this episode because that whole, like, um, maybe leather thing, um, it's weird because obviously, you know, she rebels by wearing, like, a lot of leather and obviously, you know, her cousin who is smitten with her follows suit and then Tobias (laughs) follows suit and you end up with all these people wearing leather and Lindsay doesn't seem to care Uh, and it was, you know, originally a protest against her so it's, it's quite funny how... Does that and that story kind of gets a little bit forgotten. It's just basically for kind of the visual of Tobias in the leather going to the wrong place for where he thinks the magic is going to happen, um, and that like that seems to be that's what that's just played for, rather than any like you know maybe in George Michael go to see the to you know go to see Job's show, but that story doesn't really go anywhere in terms of maybe we get a little bit more of it with um, you know George Michael and trying to. <laughs> update his look because he's thinking of getting a motorbike or whatever. This uh, this plot actually does have, you mentioned Lindsay, has one of my favorite Lindsay lines, and I don't know why I find it so funny, but it shows how just oblivious she is to Maybe, where Maybe walks in and covered in full leather just to piss off Lindsay, and she goes, like, Mom, and Lindsay looks over and she goes, Yes, and she goes, Moo, and Lindsay just looks down back at her glass of wine and goes, Mmm, Moo, honey. <laughs> Like, totally yeah. oblivious to what's going on. And she it's funny that she's got, like, a wine and a laptop in front of her, and she kind of doesn't even really look up. She just kind of says, moo, and then looks straight back down at the, at the computer and continues drinking wine. Yeah, like, the way you would, like, if you had a six-year-old kid talking about Power Rangers or something, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's so... <laughs> supp- the whole thing is to get Lindsay's attention, and she just couldn't be bothered. I love Lindsay's, uh, the, the line where, um... <laughs> I believe it's, uh, Michael, uh... Says to Lindsay, uh, 
when when Lindsay says you know she doesn't like leather, but she's okay with meat, and and Michael says you are aware that they don't remove it from the cow surgically, right? It's one of my favorite jokes in the episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's start with the beginning of the episode, which is uh, Michael and George Michael is kind of where we start. Um, and Michael, you know, is doing some work at home. He starts this really weird bit where he leans back on his chair while he's talking to George Michael and the chair goes and he gets up going, stupid, stupid chair, very stupid chair. And, uh, and then he, he suggests, maybe I ought to get myself one of those nice leather chairs from work. And this is where George Michael is like, people can take chairs home from work. I think George Michael is maybe kind of playing up the naivety here because he really, he knows exactly what, you know, Michael is talking about. Because when he's like, you know, I'm president of Blue Company since dad's in jail. And, you know, it's okay if I take a little something home from work. And then George Michael's like... Yeah, but isn't that why Grandpa's in jail? Because he took things from work? <laughs> yeah. And I love how Michael shuts it down with... You're a good kid. You know that? <laughs> it's just like, you know... And then he starts going into the whole thing of, like, you know, a chair costs money and, you know, so it's stealing. And he's like, it's not stealing, okay? And I, I love how, you know, this gets called back to later when they talk about this... Dis- they bring this discussion back up a little bit and Michael's like, is that where we landed on this? You know, like, <laughs> with it being stealing... And I just, I just like how he kind of handles his son in this situation as if to say, look, you might think it's stealing, but quite frankly, I just want to lean back on a chair. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is where Lindsay is, you know, up in arms about leather. Just after the, you know, the, the surgically removed line is where Marta shows up. And I like Jason Bateman's like really awkward kind of introduction of Marta to everyone. <laughs> and no one is really paying attention to him. Apart from Lindsay's giving him a little bit of a look because she knows, like, what's going on. Marta! Hi! Hey! It's Marta! Hey! Marta, everybody! This weird, like, long introduction of Marta to everyone, and no one's really listening to Michael. You know, I love that you you bring up Lindsay's look, because I always found that Lindsay and Michael's relationship is so much more endearing on further watches, because they really do act like... They're, they really, like, play off each other really well. And I feel like that's never really the upfront joke. But they're just such, like... Yeah. F- they do such fun sibling things. Like, you know, look at, like giving those, like, side eyes when the cute girl walks in kind of things. Yeah. Portia de Rossi <laughs> is great at that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. This is where we get, <laughs> we get one of my favorite cutaways, which is... Um, <laughs> because Marta says... He thought I was belittling his career, but I never would do that. And I love how Michael <laughs> has like such a, a long beat before going. Neither would I. What career? <laughs> <laughs> and when and when Marta says the magic, and he goes, oh, the tricks, the little tricks, those are great. <laughs> well, like I don't think he's doing this deliberately, but he's kind of belittling Job to Marta almost to build himself up a little bit. This is like, like a trademark of the Bluth children, which is people will ask them a question and they think it's a question about something else. And so when Job does his trick, real needle, real apple, <laughs> real neck. And this is causing Marta's sons to run off screaming. Ah, Marta says, Could you do that? Meaning, how could you have blood spurting out of your <laughs> neck in front of a child? To which Job is like, Oh, sure. First you dump all over, now you want to know how it's done. <laughs> and she doesn't want to know how it's done. She wants to know how Job has, you know, like, kind of the... Why he's doing this in front of children. Yeah. This, like, little joke about him doing this trick in front of the boys sort of establishes that Job's career at this point is doing tricks in front of children. Uh, or should I say illusions. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, like, it, it's very subtly show, 
showing you that he's testing out this trick, and the reason he's doing it is because the Alliance won't let him perform at, like, you know, proper venues. So he's basically, a, you know, a kid's magician at this point in his career. Yeah. And, of course, we start to get some of uh, Michael's, um, his kind of, I'd say, his goodness overrides the fact that he can't just tell Marta that Job isn't living at the model home. And this is something which I've brought up in previous episodes, which is who is in the model home. And at this point, it's still just the Funkes and Michael and George Michael. Mm-hmm. Job is not living at the model home, but of course he he has to say that he is. Uh, Michael does, um, and he covers himself by saying that he hasn't seen him here, the foyer or the <laughs> kitchen. And I, it's just one of those ways that Michael cut, like can kind of cover lies by changing what he you know the question. So it's not you know like is he living is he staying in the the home? It's have you seen him in this area? Yeah, in this literal room right now. <laughs> yeah, literally where we are standing. Have you seen Job here? If you can remind me, where where is Job staying? Is he in the boat? During this episode, he's not in the yacht yet. I think he's in the yacht in a couple of oh, episodes' okay. time, just towards the end of the relationship with Marta. But at the moment, I think it's implied that he's staying with either the legs or the oh, head. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's that's what this episode is basically telling us is he he was he was cheating on the legs with, with the, the head, head okay. and he was he was using one of them as his where he lived while he wasn't with Marta because he's also cheating on Marta so he's cheating on a lot of people in this episode basically so has Job ever had like his own place up to this point in his life <laughs> from what I can tell he hasn't the last time he broke up with Marta which was a few episodes ago he ended up at Lucille's playing Cold as Ice on the piano at like 3 a.m. <laughs> and obviously, you know, this is where Michael realises he could have just said, you know... Oh, come on, what was I supposed to do? Tell her that Job is not staying here? Tell her that Job is screwing around on her? God knows where he is? <laughs> and he realises that if he just told her the truth, he probably could have had her. And of course, this is where Lindsay ribs him. I'll never be able to do it. You're too good. You're the, the noble one. Thank you. The one who never wins. I, I don't know about the that. The loser. Hmm? The fool. <laughs> <laughs> Each time Michael is like trying to protest it, and this is where maybe makes her her stand where she will, um, you know, she will protest um, against Lindsay by um, getting into leather, and this is where she says that you know she pretends to care about all these causes, and the narrator lets us know something which kind of hasn't really been big since the pilot, which is Lindsay had always been celebrated for her wine and cheese charity fundraisers, and we see first of all. No meat, and then we see the no fish, and then we see the school meals, more meat, more fish. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's, just one, it's just one of those many Arrested Development kind of like quick montages that kind of just sums up the joke. Yeah. Um, the previous time we saw Lindsay at charity events, she was at a fundraiser for the hungry where she was turning away food. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, the, <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's it, it's kind of the very essence of the of the satire that they do. Uh, actually, there's there's one thing I wanted to point out in the scene that I really really love. Just like Michael when he says when Marta goes, he thinks I've been belittling his career and Michael goes, "Oh, neither would I." Wait, what are we talking about? Basically, George <laughs> Michael does the exact same thing where maybe he's like she's yes. such a hypocrite. Doesn't it drive you nuts? And George mm-hmm. Michael in the in an effort to impress the pretty girl, says, crazy, I just agree with you no matter what. Wait, wh- who yeah. is? What are we talking about? And I just, I love how much Michael you see in George Michael in this moment. 
And I feel like, especially yeah. season one, they really strive to show everyone's behavior and where they come from. And even in this episode, I find Michael's behavior very Lucille-like. And I just, I, <laughs> yeah. I really give them so much credit for really, like, making it feel like a family that influences each other. And because, obviously, George Sr. will be converting in this episode. <laughs> yeah. From now for the next, kind of, say, six or seven episodes... The influence of George Sr. on Michael is felt a little less. Um, because there have been some episodes where basically George Sr. has said a line to Michael and Michael has basically repeated it to George Michael straight away. And so there, there has been a kind of, you know, the influence from the parents. And I'll agree, yeah, in this episode he is a little bit more like Lucille, kind of plotting. In fact, they have a mix-up. Uh, which we'll get to in a little bit, where they they both reveal that they're doing they're plotting to do the same thing, and Michael assumes that Lucille is on his side, but she's actually plotting to do the same thing with someone else. Um, and we get a little flashback here of George Michael and his smooth legs. Your legs look exactly like mine, and I just shaved mine. Uh, which will be a a subtle setup for something that happens later on in the episode uh, that possibly could be traumatic to George Michael. Um, and this is where George Michael starts kind of... So I'm thinking of getting a motorcycle. Yeah, I'm going to need a leather jacket for when I'm on my hog and need to go into a controlled slide. <laughs> and Michael Sarah delivers that line so well, and it's just, it's obvious that he ha- sort of has no idea what on earth he's talking about <laughs> yeah. with any of those words. Tobias has the day off. Daddy has the entire day off. Which maybe says, you know, you... But you have every day off. You don't have a job. <laughs> Tobias wants to hang out with maybe, but because she's going to buy some leather goods... Uh, Tobias can't do it because he, he has no money. This exchange is so great. I don't need money to hang out with my daughter. Where are you going? We're going shopping. Oh, no, no, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and he just, like, slinks yeah. away. Like, it's he doesn't even try to convince her to do something else. He just, like, timidly backs away. And obviously, I mean, we'll find out later on in the episode that Tobias basically sells his wedding ring to get money to hang out with his daughter. <laughs> Which shows the level of desperation that you know of him trying to connect with his his uh, his daughter, um, which is kind of weird because in this episode um, there's not really that much kind of Michael George Michael stuff apart from like the the beginning bit about like the stealing and that kind of like reappears a couple of times in the episode, but it's uh, one of the lighter episodes in terms of the the father son relationship. But yeah, they really get into the. The father-daughter relationship with um, Tobias and uh, and maybe I always love this aspect that Tobias is willing to do anything to to be there for maybe except get a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, isn't that all of the the blues and few yeah. Like they're willing <laughs> yeah, to do certainly. almost anything apart from get a job. <laughs> yeah, and the narrator tells us the next day that Michael was stopped on his way to work, and this is where we meet Rollo. Um, and he, <laughs> of course, this is like possibly one of the greatest exchanges where he says, you care about your brother, you'll get in this car. And Michael says, which brother? And he says, Rollo says, Joe. And then Michael just gets, gets on cycling <laughs> on his bike. And then Rollo is like, let me be clear. Tell him Rollo wants him to say goodbye to his legs. But I just love how... Nobody in this family seems to care for Joe. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is so reminiscent of when Lucille's like, I don't care for Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess, I guess this is like one of, yeah, this is one of the more Lucille moments of Michael where he seems like, I think is, you know, he, he obviously he only has two brothers 
And I guess if Buster was in any danger, Michael would have known about it pretty quickly through Lucille. So yeah. he probably could have guessed which brother he was talking about. But I, I just, I just love the line of, of as soon as he says Job, he's just like gets back. He just starts cycling again. And he's he's off. He, Especially because it's on a bike. It's such a physical gag that he's like literally <laughs> yeah. pedaling away. <laughs> this is where we get the 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 crossing over of the the two storylines where. Um, you know, Michael goes to his mother's to look for Job. Obviously, no one seems to have any idea of where Job is supposed to be living. Um, and Lucille says, I want you to help me break up your brother and his girlfriend. And Michael says, Well, I'm all for that. We just got to find him first. And then, of course, Lucille says, He's locked on the balcony. <laughs> just love, I love how Lucille, see, I don't know how Lucille keeps getting Buster to go out on the balcony. <laughs> she leaves a graham cracker out there, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't believe she baits it this time, but yeah, he, there seems to be something about Buster who loves being out on that balcony, and it's it's just an easy way for Lucille to trap him. You know, obviously this is where Michael realises who they're talking about. Oh. Um, and I love this whole scene because it just builds up the creepiness of the Lucille Ostero Buster relationship. Yeah. I mean, Lucille says... I mean, she's been a family friend for years. It's just... creepy. And... I love how Michael says... I think you might be overreacting. And Lucille says... She changed him as a baby. <laughs> he just goes... Okay, that's that's about the creepiest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Buster just goes... That's why she didn't look surprised. <laughs> yeah, this is the first reference to Buster's, like, very bizarre genitalia that is, like, a very subtle subplot throughout the show. <laughs> yeah. We get, like... I mean, after, I mean, this stuff is just kind of factual, but then we get, like, one of the most Lucille lines, which is... You're the only child who chose a spouse that I liked, and she's the one who had to die. <laughs> I love how Michael goes, I know, that's rough for you. <laughs> um, it's rare that we get mentions of Tracy um, in the show. Even in the pilot, she's only mentioned very briefly when George Michael says, you know, since mom died. And that's that's like as much... They never kind of um, classify Michael as a widower, like, in any way. Um, so it, it's it's weird that, like, this is one of the first times where it's been explicitly called out by another member of the family. And Lucille does it in such a kind of cruel way. And then, obviously, you know, this is where uh, Michael makes it clear that he's looking for Joe because someone wants to break his legs. It's a good thing he's already got that little scooter. <laughs> <laughs> so she's laughed at the death of Michael's wife and the idea of Job having his legs broken within the space of like three sentences. So, you know, um, and then she goes, I happen to be a more caring mother than most. <laughs> you know, every time I rewatch the show, I Lucille moves more and more up my list of favorite characters. And it's lines <laughs> like this that just drive the point home that she is like... When I first watched it, she just bothered me so much because she was just so terrible. But now she just has me in stitches, like, every single scene. We find out that uh, Lucille has, has decided to put her put Buster's bed in storage. <laughs> and she says... I guess you'll just have to decide which Lucille you want to spend your nights with. And this causes Michael to say... Okay, before I leave this place for the last time ever... <laughs> <laughs> which, of course, we know he can't stay away from the family, so that's not going to be true. Uh, but Buster then is the one who pushes him towards the playtime pit pizza theater uh, when he was on his date, and then he goes, <laughs> "Of which I have another one tonight." And I'm going to continue dating mom. And Michael says, "Sounds a little bit like dating mom." <laughs> and Buster says, "It's starting to feel <laughs> like it." <laughs> I I love that exchange because it's just like <laughs> it's so such a strange thing to say. Yeah. Um. But 
But also the fact that Buster can't hear the fact that putting the word mom in any sentence where he talks about Lucille to, like, how that should be inappropriate, but uh, obviously it's lost on him. This is where we get a quick uh, little bit where um, George Sr., he in the in the episode that was broadcast previous to this, which confusingly wasn't the one where he actually mounted the escape, um, but on the DVD these are in the correct order, so... You know, the previous episode was episode 108, which was In God We Trust. That is where George Sr. made his, dressed as God, (laughs) made his escape attempt. And they lost the bond for taking him out for the afternoon. And as part of that punishment, he's in solitary confinement. And while in solitary confinement, he, for some reason, cuts a piece of his shoe (laughs) off and puts it on his head. Uh, after seeing a star of David projected on the wall. This is when they introduce, I don't know what to call it, I guess it's like a Hebrew theme, that when George Sr. sees the light on the wall, he like leans against it as if it, like he's praying to it, and it plays this music cue that sounds very like ancient, religious kind of... How would you describe it? I'm obviously no good at describing this music cue. I would say Middle Eastern is okay, how it yeah. sounds to me. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. And it becomes a recurring theme that whenever they reference his newfound Judaism, they play this theme. And there's just something that just strikes me as so funny about it because it's such a dramatic piece of music <laughs> for what is almost always a ridiculous gag. As we'll see later, you mentioned the shoe. When he first sees Lucille, she just looks at him and goes, why do you have a piece of shoe on your head? And it plays this music. And it's like, it's, she's trying to like disarm how, like she's trying to point out how ridiculous it is, but the production of the episode plays it off like it's such a serious character moment for him. And after we see the, the start of George Sr.'s conversion, we get, well, this I think is where the cutscene would have come. Uh, which is from this episode, which is very brief, and it's just kind of an extension of Job doing tricks for kids. And in this particular case, he has a pack of cards, and he he decides to call the Queen Martyr for squeaks and gigs, he says. <laughs> and she's got two jacks, and there's a king, let's call him me. <laughs> and he starts this, this kind of profanity-laced dialogue about how I don't know. He's just very angry about the whole relationship. Um, and uh, Michael turns up just in time to say, I, I saw Copperfield doing that routine on The View. It, it seems a <laughs> uh, an explicit callback to the pilot where uh, Job is doing the, the illusion for kids and speaks inappropriately I, I don't think there's another like a third scene where he does that i think it's just those two certainly not the i mean not so far and i don't i can't think of yeah, anything I'm pretty sure uh later on in the, the series where he he does that but yeah job finishes it with kind of like a, a tada again <laughs> <laughs> much like when he escaped prison he, he just kind of weakly goes to the and he just finishes the trick i think he just throws the cards like at in front of the kids yeah he just throws them he, he just he just he can't care about finishing the trick properly um and michael you know he's obviously like you know job tells them that the magician's alliance has blackballed him from every venue in town uh, which is why he's here playing essentially like a burger joint. We see a picture of the Magician's Alliance, which calls back to the, the picture that was in the pilot, except this picture is missing Bill Hader. Um, and then it swaps from Joe being the leader to Rollo now being the leader. Um, 
And, you know, this is where we find out that the guy who made the threats um, is a magician. I just came here to tell you that this guy named Rollo pulled me over and made some threats. What kind of threats? He said to say goodbye to your legs. I don't know whether this guy's a mobster, a loan shark, something equally scary. Magician. Michael thinks he's some kind of mobster or a loan shark. And when Joe says magician, he goes... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think you're confusing scary with silly. This guy was frightening. He was in a limo. And then it's like, why does he want to break her legs? And he's like, no, he doesn't want to break my legs. He wants to take my legs. And then, of course, Job does something that he will do a number of times, which is he gives away how the trick works by explaining the saw the lady in half trick. And he does it in front of a kid who's like, that's how they do it. <laughs> Job's like, God, I've got to stop giving these things away. And then, you know, obviously, you know, the top half... Uh, is is just a volunteer in the crowd we find, but you know Job has been, uh, you know, sleeping with the legs, and uh, he says word really gets around in there. And <laughs> um, now I think that's a, a very subtle line because, you know, you would assume that two people being stuck in a box obviously might talk, but it also sets up something that will pay off later on in the episode that forms part of Michael's scheming. Um, it's almost like Job kind of gives him the scheme without realizing this is one thing that i find ridiculous because it's not really too not to spoil the trick but it's not really two people in a box it's two people in two different boxes (laughs) and having him be like word really gets around in there there are two boxes like getting pushed apart basically in like a loud chuck e cheese the premise that they will definitely talk about this is really funny to me. That it's such a given that everyone knows, oh, they'll definitely discuss this. Well, obviously, it, for part of the trick, like when the person gets in, to, like when the top half gets in, there's quite, a, you know, there's a bit of period of time where it isn't split into two. So No, I mean, I, 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 it's just, it's funny to me that like, they'll maybe have, let's say, max two minutes while Job does his dance routine. Yeah, I love I that they jump right <laughs> yeah. into like, let's gossip about Job. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Um, and then obviously, you know, uh, this is where Michael says about, um, he says, you're cheating on Marta with those legs. And then obviously, you know, Job's like, you know, the legs are insanely jealous. And, and this is where we see that the legs are in the box as we speak. Like, they can hear this conversation. Well, I guess, yeah, when uh, they do mention that, obviously, she, I guess she sits in those legs in the box all day. So they do have plenty of time <laughs> yeah. to talk. I stand correct. <laughs> he, like, taps the box and the legs pop out and he goes, not now. And then he, they, they come back, in, they, they go back in. <laughs> so this is where Job does something really strange, which is, I guess, as a bit of an echo of Michael's storyline about the, the chair, uh, Job steals Michael's watch, which... Michael won't realize for a while, but Job does it by saying, I appreciate your time. And shakes his hand. (laughs) I appreciate your time. (laughs) Yeah. And he says it so snidely. Well, it's just such a, like, stage magician-y kind of direction. (laughs) Like, the way he's doing it is so kind of, like, it's it's so funny. Uh, And obviously this is where Michael accidentally um, gives Job some advice that will help him get back together with Marta. Marta is a once-in-a-lifetime woman. She's a treasure. And I don't think you're showing her enough respect, okay? And he calls Job defensively says, hey, she doesn't respect my career. Which is just such a kind of, you know... Obviously, we know Michael also doesn't respect Job's career. <laughs> doesn't he get hit with the bouncy ball at this point? <laughs> yeah, because the scene just ends there after, after he gets hit. Um, yeah. And then, now, obviously, you know, this information... You know, helps helps um, Michael because he he's like I've got to tell what Michael I've got to tell um, you know Marta what's going on, 
And, um, you know, Lindsay is like, uh, you know, she tells him not to because it's called shoot the messenger, <laughs> which obviously, I mean, that's not the full phrase. The phrase is don't shoot the messenger, <laughs> not yeah. shoot the messenger. So Lindsay has slightly misunderstood this, uh, but obviously it's not going to help Michael to kind of tell this. And this is why he, you know, he decides to scheme. And he decides to scheme by putting someone, you know, in the top half which will be Marta, so that she can talk to the legs. Um, but I love this bit where Michael is like, um, you know, I'm a saint, uh, a living saint, and I get absolutely nothing out of it. And Lindsay says, well, you get a false feeling of superiority. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, no, that is nice. But this time it's not enough. <laughs> so he's conceding that he has a sense of superiority to the rest of his family. But he, you know, he, he needs a bit more. And then this is where... He's like, why do I always have to be the one that has to set the good example for everyone? And that is something that some guests on this podcast have disputed, that Michael is actually that good. Um, he ha- he, as we've seen, he has occasionally got these kind of venal tendencies that everyone else in his family has. And this episode is one of those episodes where he is, as we've said, he's behaving a bit more like Lucille. Yeah, I, I think... I think he looks good in comparison to the rest of his family. If you plot yeah. that character in with a group of shall we say, more normal characters, he wouldn't look that great. <laughs> yeah. The, the first time I watched the show, I thought Michael was like the big hero of the show and he was like the, the good guy. And then when I rewatched it, I realized how manipulative and smug he is about everything. Like even here, he's calling himself a living saint when he's like trying to break up and steal his brother's girlfriend. And it's just, I, I love that Lindsay... Even though Lindsay's very oblivious, as we'll see in a second with the moo scene, she still really knows Michael and knows that, like, you do kind of get off this way. On the other other hand, one of the reasons I don't like season four is how it treats Michael and how he's just such a wreck in season four. And I just don't want to see him that way. (laughs) Lucille wants to break up Buster and Lucille. And that is kind of played as being a bad thing, but, you know, Michael wants to break up Marta and Job, and that is being played as a good thing. But I think that's only because Job is being seen as so terrible. Yeah. Whereas, you know, when it comes to the widow Ostero and Byron, there's nothing bad in that relationship, you know, aside from their age difference and the fact that she changed him when he was a child, you know, like those are kind of more, I don't know, those are kind of just weird things rather than bad things. But all we really see from Job and Marta is him cheating on her and traumatizing her children. You know, occasionally he will um, chide her for speaking in Spanish, um, you know, (laughs) when she, even when she's saying I love you in Spanish. So this is where, (laughs) you know, George Michael comes in dressed in leather and Michael realizes why he has to set a good example, which is because you know he's he's got this his son who seems to be very impressionable, <laughs> and you know this is where maybe is like Moo and Lindsay is like oh Moo honey. <laughs> <laughs> completely completely ignores her. But this of course is where Tobias then latches onto this whole like leather thing. I got my hands on some money. I can't say how or when, or where my wedding ring is. My purse overfloweth, as do my high spirits, so a shopping we must go. And obviously maybe it's like, we already went. Uh, that's why I'm wearing all this leather. And then she says, tell mom I'm into leather. And it's just like, 
I love how she's kind of using her her parents to kind of send a message to each of them. Um, and then this is where George Michael offers to um, to lend money to Tobias, and he turns it down, uh, rather annoyed. Obviously, T- Tobias then goes to uh, a store where he asks he asks the the person who is there. He says, um, "I'm looking for something that says Dad likes leather. Something that says leather, Daddy." Oh, is there such a thing? With such wide-eyed uh, innocence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love the clerk's expression, too. Like he's, It's like he's been waiting for someone exactly. to ask this question all week. <laughs> <laughs> like he already has the entire outfit picked out. <laughs> he's just waiting for someone to ask for that particular outfit. And I do want to just jump a little ahead with this Tobias story, because I think when he turns up and he gets on the couch with... Uh, like George Michael and maybe are sitting on the couch, <laughs> maybe says, uh, you know that the, the the leather is very hot. <laughs> you can see George Michael is sweating from his face. It's just like pouring down his face, and he's like, "Oh, I hadn't noticed." <laughs> and I love how George Michael is willing to sit there in this super hot leather in Orange County, in you know <laughs> whatever the season is meant to be. But just basically boiling hot, just so he can spend some time with maybe, uh, and then obviously Tobias interrupts him by sitting down in between them. And as he sits down, he has um, a series of like um, wallet chains that are connecting his leather wrist with his <laughs> his his, uh, his like dog collar. And as he sits down, the chains go around George Michael. <laughs> <laughs> which is just such a, a weird kind of visual of, of him with like these chains around George Michael uh, and then obviously George Michael excuses himself and just leaves and um, I, I, in fact I just love how <laughs> Tobias then goes uh, look at us who wouldn't want to mess with any of us, huh? It's just <laughs> such a weird, like... Not only is the visual so weird, but when Tobias walks up, the camera shows his assless chaps. Yeah. <laughs> And <laughs> yeah. and under the like through the holes in his pants, you see the cutoffs, and it just looks so yeah. it looks so weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I don't want to be a pedant, but all chaps are assless. Yes, <laughs> you can see his cutoffs as he's sitting down. Just and like a... it's not just it doesn't look like he has jeans under them. You see like the the frill of the cutoffs yeah. like sticking out of the chaps <laughs> they re- i mean it's such a like that gag they really really stick with it in this first season like yeah. before they even introduce the concept of the cutoffs or never nude he's crying in the shower wearing the cutoffs yeah like two or three episodes before the joke is introduced um and then obviously this is where maybe asks did you get a job or something and tobias says uh, no i didn't unless you consider uh, world's coolest daddy a job <laughs> And then this is where he, he tries to, you know, George Michael has already left, basically, um, having to kind of pull the chains around from him. And then as as Tobias kind of goes to turn towards maybe, he chokes yeah. himself and then kind of has to pull all the chains out from <laughs> underneath his leg. And I just, I, I think that's kind of the conclusion of maybe's involvement in this story, aside from her watching, like, the magic show. Yeah. Um, and this is this is kind of like something that, reoccurs particularly in this first season which is maybe like is hardly in some episodes and obviously that becomes like a meta thing where you know they will they will say particularly in season two there are a few times where people say i think maybe he's feeling left out <laughs> um you know which is not a, a great use of alia shawcat if you're gonna keep 
just like having her in half an episode here and there. But uh, yeah. So Tobias will, of course, stay in that clothing as he goes to a different location. Um, but before then, yeah, Marta turns up and this is where she reveals that, um, you know, Joe basically stole Michael's lines. He said I was a treasure. She's a treasure. And a once-in-a-lifetime woman. Mm-hmm. And then this is where Marta says uh, she showed... Um, he showed me the watch that you gave him and this is when Michael goes to check his wrist and then we get the flashback to uh, Job doing his his over the top I appreciate your time Um, and then the narrator tells us and so for the first time Michael set a plan in motion to take something that didn't belong to him and this is when he kind of bursts through the lift doors and holds them apart um, and you know basically tells Marta that um, you know she should become Job's new assistant um, and, you know, Marta says, you're really a good guy, and Michael says, well, you can't change who you are, and the lift doors slam as the uh, as the act finishes, and I think that's like a really, like a really good, <laughs> like having people tell Michael he's good all the time is obviously a way to enforce the fact that he's good without him actually being good. Like, like Jim said before, relatively, he is easily the best. <laughs> Yeah, but she says that just as he has started his kind of scheming to break up, <laughs> break up Marta and Joe. Yeah. Um, and now uh, Michael, who much like his mother does not really care for Job, decides to help Job get his career back by asking him to, you know, going to Rollo at the Gothic Castle and asking him if he'll give his brother a show. And you know, he tells Job that. Um, you know, he's he's got him this show and he goes, you've just got to make sure you do the sawing in half trick. And then Job says, I don't even have a top half. And Michael's like, uh, don't worry about that. I've got someone I want you to use. She's perfect. A great girl. You're doing me a favor. And then, of course, Job ruins it by saying, she got big hands. <laughs> and I like I like Will Arnett's kind of like quick delivery of that line. And then um, Michael is like, I'll see you there, Job. And of course, this is where Job says, You're a good brother, Michael. <laughs> Once again, someone is telling him he's good. And um, they do a, a, a Gilligan cut to Lindsay saying, You're a horrible brother. <laughs> and we're actually, I think this is the first time that we get to see the back patio area of the mm, model home. Probably. Like most of the stuff that we've had has been kind of indoors. And, you know, for the sake of a joke that's about to happen, there's, like, a fireplace <laughs> behind yeah. and And we also, obviously, in between, Michael has, um, after after saying to, to you know, after um, Marta said he was a good guy, he uh, decided to take home the leather chair that he'd been, uh, had his eye on. And uh, he's sitting on that chair and reclining <laughs> after twice falling off chairs earlier in the episode. Um, you know, the second time of which, you know, <laughs> he said, your concern is getting embarrassing. Um, so he's 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 reclining here as he as he tells this tale. And Lindsay, you know, says, you're going to put Marta on stage with the legs. You know, the legs get upset. Marta gets upset. Marta leaves Job and I don't get shot. <laughs> <laughs> and Lindsay, of course, says you'll never be able to pull the trigger on this. And this is where Michael says, call me what you want. An impotent man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and you know this is where he says the plan is in motion Um, you know and he says uh, Lindsay says this just isn't you and he says it's me now Uh, it's the me that can recline and as he reclines he hits his head (laughs) uh, and pretends that it didn't hurt (laughs) can I I say for for a show that's probably 
best known for its clever dialogue. Damn, they do physical gags really great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And particularly, like, this is the third time in this episode that Michael has reclined on a chair, and each time it has finished with some kind of, like, physical yeah. gag. You know, obviously the first two times it was just him falling over, but this time he hits his head and then kind of just bounces straight back up from it, which is, uh, you know, really funny. I love his um, face after he hits his head, because it's like every time, <laughs> like, when you stub your toe and you try so hard to not look like this hurts so bad, he just has such a face like, nope, it's fine. It's fine. And they do they do put like a bit of foley work so it just sound like it was like a hard hit as well. <laughs> yeah. Um so it, it, you feel it really. But while this plan is going on, um Lucille puts into motion her plan to split up uh, Buster and the widow Ostero, as she says. Uh she visits <laughs> George Senior who is now wearing a, a piece of shoe on his head, which apparently is a reminder that divine presence is always above him. <laughs> I'm not sure that's any that's any part of like Judaism, but you know, uh, whatever it, whatever works for George Senior. And she says, "Buster's been humping the widow Ostera." I think it's such a kind of funny way to put it. Um, and obviously, Buster protests this by saying, "We're taking it slow." And I love Lucille's picture of what she thinks is bad behavior from a child. Which is a, a child, <laughs> anyone, any of her kids, are, you know, anyone that you give birth to is, is, are your children, aren't they? Regardless of how yeah. old they get, you know, and that is the way Lucille treats it. And, um, you know, she says he stays there sometimes until seven, eight at night. Peanut brittle on his breath. Is she the one who's going to take him to the dentist? Which Buster reveals she already has. And I just love how kind of hurt. And then she, and I think she has a gasps. great gasp. Yeah, that gasp is just perfect. Yeah. <gasps> <laughs> yeah. It's so it's funny because obviously, you know, her only plan in terms of splitting up Buster and Lucille was to go to George Senior and have him somehow do something. I think that's about as far as she planned it to. Has him have him somehow do something. <laughs> and he mumbles something Leave enough dear. Obviously, Buster goes, what? What? May you live, may you be well, I give you my blessing. And Buster is, Buster is very kind of shocked by that, and so is Lucille. And, um, you know, this is where we get the, the reoccurrence of the music sting, where, yeah. um, you know, he, he touches Buster, and the guard says, No touching! No! No! <laughs> And the guard kind of like backs off. Uh, and that, I think, is the same guard who said no touching every time it's been said. And then, obviously, George Sr. kind of reveals his true motives a little bit. Which... Can you give me some of that peanut? Yeah. Only George Sr. could have, like, getting peanut brittle as his ulterior motive. <laughs> I mean, we did skip over a funny line with Tobias, which is uh, when he was hacking away at the ice cream, he says, you have to be some kind of she-hulk. <laughs> Um, which, again, is part of this family's obsession with ice cream uh, that is shown through George Sr. and his, his obsession with ice cream sandwiches and, and Michael's obsession with ice cream. Everyone just wants ice cream in the Bluth family, basically, <laughs> and they don't have to work to get it, uh, as shown by Tobias kind of attempting to get some. Um, anyway, you know, we get to the kind of the, the set piece, which is uh, everyone goes to the Gothic castle. Well, almost everybody. Um, and... Job wants to know who the top half is because he has to teach her the trick and he kind of leans into Michael and says <laughs> she's got to fold her knees 
And Michael just says, it's a fantastic trick. And I don't want you to worry. I've already told her, uh, you know, where are the legs? Are they running late? And then Job says, uh, so is everyone here? And Michael says, I think so. I haven't seen Tobias. And this leads us to the, the cut scene of <laughs> Tobias where he, <laughs> the narrator tells us he had intended to come, but a slight miscommunication with his cab driver. And then we see the cab driver who I think is supposed to be Cockney. Yes. I think that's what they're aiming for, but he doesn't sound totally Cockney to me, but you know. And he says, Where to, Mike? To which Tobias says, The Gothic Castle. And he repeats back, Gothic Castle. Uh, <laughs> and then Tobias says, That's what I said. <laughs> and the narrator tells us, And ended up in the wrong location. Now, how the hell did they um, get that line past standards and practices? <laughs> yeah, I was wondering that today when I was rewatching it. Did they not get the what he was actually saying? I mean, I, considering I know the battles elsewhere they had with this show i can't yeah. believe they got that line on the air <laughs> yeah well i i think it's funny because like obviously i guess um, i mean there's always this weird thing where people in this country will get annoyed if people say asshole because they feel that people should be saying asshole and i don't really care <laughs> like it's not yeah. a big it's like not a huge difference to me but obviously in this particular case it it it, it fits the joke so i'm guessing maybe to an american ear like someone in a Cockney accent saying "asshole" might just sound like "castle." I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. It's worth noting this first season of Arrested Development went out at um, nine thirty, maybe because it was in that later slot. For the second season, they moved it to eight thirty after The Simpsons. Oh, that might be it. So yeah, like it, it definitely stands out. But it, I'm so glad that it gets passed. Because that line censor just wouldn't land. Oh, no, it wouldn't. Because the whole thing is, it sounds like Gothic Castle. And obviously Tobias sees, you know, he goes to what he thinks is the entrance to the Gothic Castle. And he says, I'm glad I didn't go with that outfit when he sees (laughs) one of the the people leaving. And then he says, yes, hello, I am looking for the magic. And the bouncer kind of like points it. The bouncer seems to have like a weird little like magic wand with some like leather straps on or something. I don't know what that, but he just points he uses it to point uh, Tobias in, and he says Dankeschön before he enters. Um, and then we get the reappearance here of the person who is labelled by the fans as the Freedom Sign guy. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, wow, I never put that together. Oh, he shows up throughout the whole show. Yeah, he was on the boat dancing to the song Freedom, Free At Last, which is the song that appears in the pilot. Um, and he was holding up that kind of ornate... Yeah, yeah, now that you say it, I get it. I just, I never noticed before. <laughs> and so he's exiting this club, which I guess is supposed to confirm for the viewer that it is definitely a gay club, uh, because obviously in the first episode, uh, you know, the, the homosexuals were protesting the, the yacht club. Um, yes. And ruining ruining Lucille's party. I guess that, that like kind of that ends Tobias's story in this episode, particularly... Uh, until we get to the on the next at the very end and then you know we see lucille and lucille meeting and uh, this is where lucille refers to her what is obviously her favorite son as damaged goods he was born <laughs> with a hole in his heart she tells lucille and of course lucille too says you know she's going to fill that heart uh, she's going to fill that hole because they're in love and then <laughs> and then of course lucille says i mean the escalation of this fight is probably my favorite thing because it, Lucille says, Oh, please. 
Please. You're no more in love with him than I am. And Buster immediately tries to separate the Lucille thing. <laughs> okay, we're all saying some things we're going to <laughs> That's a great line. Uh, Liza Minnelli and Jessica Walter are so great together. Oh, yeah. All of their interactions. I think casting Liza Minnelli was such a good move because I think this, like, the character of Lucille Ostero could be like a bit more cartoony if the wrong actress was playing it. But I think she kind of grounds it a little bit, despite the kind of the whole ridiculousness of her, of her having this kind of, um, you know, the dizzying spells where she keeps falling <laughs> over and stuff like that. Like she get she really throws herself into some of the physical comedy. She really does. But yeah. she also she also seems like she really cares about Buster and just the family in general. She's like such an yeah. opposite Lucille. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. Now that I say that, of course, but. <laughs> You know, like they, she does such a good job with playing that character. Uh, now we get the debut of possibly the. Now I'm going to divert slightly here and say um, I like the show um, Penn and Teller Fool Us, where magicians go on and they try to fool Penn and Teller. Mm-hmm. Um, currently in its fourth series on the CW. Uh, previously started out as a, sh- a British show, bizarrely enough. Um, currently being presented by Willow from Buffy. Um, now, here's the thing. If I ever see a magician on that show and they do a wordless act where they do a big illusion, but they just have music playing and they don't ever do any patter and they just do like a trick that involves, you know, something, I always think of Job and the final countdown. And that is what we get here for the very first time is Job doing his his kind of his his act basically because we've we've seen him do one or two tricks here and there but this is where we get to see his act where he's got the cards fanned out and he's got a knife in his mouth he always has a knife in his mouth and he's just throwing cards like that's his whole act <laughs> <laughs> well at one point he has like a um uh, a, a handkerchief just like on his face like <laughs> as the wind is blowing it like he can't i don't know what that trick's meant to be but he, he's just doing that and so you know you kind of his his whole act is just like so <laughs> really weird. If Will Arnett um, ever did a full actual Job magic show, I would pay any price <laughs> to come to that to see that because we always see it as like these ten second gags. I would love to see what he does with it, like an hour and a half set. <laughs> He's introduced, of course, as ladies and gentlemen, a magician named Doc. Nobody seems to realise that it's pronounced Joe. And this is kind of like the second time that someone's mispronounced his name. Um, before he goes out on stage, of course, Joe returns Michael's watch. Um, which, bizarrely, out of the two brothers, that means he's the only one who steals something in this episode and actually gives it back. And, and uh, Michael, you know, Michael keeps the leather chair. Michael seems bizarrely touched by this. I mean, he really seems such that he returns the watch to him. Well, he says, like, you've stolen so many things over the years. This is the first thing you've ever given back. (laughs) Yeah. Rather than being mad about uh, him stealing it in the first place. This relationship between these two brothers and Will Arnett and, you know, Jason Bateman, if you ever listen to the, the commentary on the pilot... They basically say, you know, like the first time you see them together where they're, they're talking with the captain of the boat, that was the first time they'd ever, like, really met. And yet they had this kind of instant relationship where you can believe them as brothers. Absolutely. Um, and not, yeah. and not, wanting to, not wanting to spoil too much for revelations that come up in seasons two and three, but they are the actual only two brothers in this family, you know, who have the same parents. Together, Will Arnett and Jason Bateman, they work so well. 
Um, and you, you really believe that, that, that Michael is kind of touched by this gesture. But then, of course, Job, you know, he, he puts a, he, he kind of puts a top on it by saying, I want to try and be a better brother like you are to me, which, of course, immediately makes Michael feel kind of guilty about the, the plot that he's put in motion here. But not guilty enough to that's, stop that's it. That's true. <laughs> he still says, no. have a great church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's, there's kind of like a flicker of guilt there, and then he just yeah. realizes. And we see that George Michael has gone back to his windbreaker. Uh, you know, he's got rid of the leather jacket. And, of course, you know, he, he pushes it even further by saying, you know, you, you can't change who you are. You know, I'm just a boring old nice guy like you. To which, of course, Michael says I'm not that nice. George Michael is kind of willing to let his father have a chair, you know. And he says it's not like you'd steal something big. <laughs> and then, obviously, the narrator tells us that Michael was having second thoughts about his plan. And this is where we find out that the legs aren't coming. And... um <laughs> And then Michael says, Where am I going to get a pair of beautiful women's legs on such short notice? Oh, even before framed. that, though, Marta's, yeah, Marta's standing Marta's there, Marta's and joke it's is such great. a great wordplay. Where she kind of says this is his one last chance, they'll never let him work in the Alliance again, you have to do something. But when <laughs> yeah, she says, she... I can't believe the legs would screw him like that, it's just such a great <laughs> line, because Marta, it's just the kind of thing that the script has such a natural sentence for her to say, but it, it has, yeah. like, Michael makes his face. Uh, yeah, but, he almost yeah, but, looks at the camera. Uh, yes. And then, of course, we see the trick going ahead as planned. And Job says, I love Job's introduction to Marta where he says, and now my hopefully lovely assistant <laughs> will join me. And then, of course, once, the once you know, George Michael is in as the legs, he Job says, wiggle those sexy gams. And, of course, George Michael in the box is saying, I'm okay with myself, I'm okay with myself. Um, and Buster is, I think, the only one of the family who is really impressed with the trick. Lucille is kind of indifferent to this whole act. Of course, that makes the next exchange equally puzzling, where Job comes off stage and he hugs Lucille and kisses her, and he's like, Did you see it? Back in. I've got the career back. Oh. Thank you for coming. And it's such a weird thing, because we know how little Lucille cares for Job, and she's only there to try and break up the other Lucille and Buster, so... Well, that's um, one thing we see consistently with Job, is no matter how much everyone, like, basically hates him throughout the show, he's always trying so hard to get anyone to appreciate him in any way. And he never really yeah. makes any headway with that. <laughs> you know, this is where Lucille reconsiders her plan, uh, much like Michael had reconsidered his plan, basically... And, you know, she wants Lucille to play bridge with her. And then this is where Lucille 2 kind of hugs with Lucille 1 and says, Look at us, Buster! We're back together again! Lucille and Lucille! And Buster gets very nervous <laughs> and starts saying, You guys are friends again. Play bridge together. Can you just, just separate? <laughs> and he starts trying to pull them apart again. Uh, and I think that's like such a funny way for that story to end with the Lucilles back together. And then, you know, we see Michael at his office and, you know, he, he returned to work accepting that he was the good guy, uh, but not as good as everyone thought. And then we see him pulling a, a TV and it falls over and he says, this really works better than <laughs> a chair. Um, you know, and that's kind of the end of the episode, apart from the on the next. Um, and Rollo asks, tell me, how did you get two Alliance proved assistants with such short notice? No, oh, that was just my girlfriend and my nephew. And Rollo goes, you're out. <laughs> <laughs> and instantly thrown him back out. And then, of course, we see that um, Tobias has got a gig 
from his adventure at the Gothic Castle, and he is part of the Whips and Snaps as he, he sings. Um, there's where my heart is turning ever, there's where the old folks stay. And that's where the episode finishes. I, I, is there anything else that that we need to talk about in this episode? Is there anything that I haven't covered? I think we went pretty in depth. It's like a really good episode in terms of like balancing the different ongoing storylines. Because at this point, you know, Buster and Lucille is quite firmly established. Uh, you know, the Michael Marta Joe thing is firmly established. Tobias's lack of a career is firmly established. <laughs> so yeah. this is not really this is not really an episode that you could just start watching if you hadn't seen anything before this. This really is an episode that demands that you are watching the series and you really have a grasp on who all these different characters are. I'm always so uh, impressed, though, that even with all that, like, I totally agree with you, but it's still such a complete arc of Michael's plot. And, like, yeah. I just, it wraps up so well. And it's just, every time I watch any episode of Rest Development, I kind of forget how concise and well-paced each individual episode is, because I think of them as overarching plots. And then, like, I watch a single episode and I forget, wow, so much was just this one episode. I thought these were, like, multiple episodes. <laughs> and it's like, no, this is all so well-structured. On the next episode of I've Made a Huge Mistake, we're going to be talking about episode 10. My guests will be Trisha Ellis and Matthew Siegel. You know, we'll, we'll see uh, Lucille Osterio is down. Um, after this episode where she seemed quite up and steady on her feet. Um, you know, Buster will get drawn into labelling something. Um, <laughs> so, uh, do you have anything to plug? And I'm going to go to Ryan first. Yeah, I'm a regular host on the podcast Divisive Issues. We talk about comic books, usually terrible ones, but mostly just ones that, you know, people disagree with or think are controversial on the internet and it's one of our hosts doesn't read comic books at all so it's not like you have to be a big nerd like me to follow it and that's itunes you know it's everywhere where podcasts are wherever this is that probably is okay and jim i uh, know nothing to plug but if you really want to look for me i'm in several episodes of the as if podcast and the cast next door well it's been great talking to both of you guys yeah thanks um, for having me thanks very much for listening and goodbye Bye, everybody. Bye.